using just clear craft glue and loved it, loved the way it created like new undulations, the glitter was still sparkling. And so now um, the glitter rug, the past two that I have made are from the same image where um, I photographed my living room rug covered with toys and my daughter using a GoPro camera up on a ladder. And I just loved that, that dichotomy of as though I was on an actual adventure outside of my house when I was not, but I needed the GoPro camera, you know, and took that aerial view. And then I filter them through Photoshop, posterize things, overlay a few images. So it's a super abstracted image of, of my, my personal home, my living room rug. And then I sort of glitter by number and they act as rugs to anchor the space in, in my shows. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 299th episode, I'm excited to be joined once again by St. Louis artist Amy Rydell. We talk all about the varying roles that she has as a mixed media artist exploring a wide variety of approaches and materials, everything from painting, ceramic sculptures, installation, sound, and so much more. We also talk about the varying roles as a caregiver, as a mother, how that's impacted her studio practice, especially during the pandemic. And we talk a lot about that. And of course, Coral Green Studios, which is an artist-run collective based in South St. Louis City, and we talk all about that and the role there. I would note that Amy's previous episode was 170. Look it up if you want to take a bigger deep dive. You can also check out lots of her work, amyrydell.com, and of course, be sure to follow her on Instagram at amy.rydell, R-E-I-D-E-L. Before we get into this wonderful interview with Amy, I do want to remind any artist listening that our 2023 professional competition is open through December 15th, so there's still time to get applications in. Our juror this year, Jeff Stevenson, will be selecting five artists to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break. He's also going to be selecting one artist for a solo exhibition and a number of artists for two small group exhibitions. If you want to find out how to apply, just head on over to Studio Break. Look under the competition page, and you've got all the details there. Of course, if you haven't perused Studio Break, I do want to remind any new listeners that we've got a big archive of episodes there. Lots of different artists. Each of those posts have images of the artist's work, links to their websites. You can listen right there on studiobreak.com, or you can go to your favorite podcast site or place like Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We are in social media, so be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, X, at Studio Break. And, of course, be sure to say hello on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. And with announcements out of the way, let's dive right into this episode with Amy Rydell. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Amy Rydell, how are you doing? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm excellent. You know, it's been a little bit of time since you <laughs> joined uh, Studio Break. Again, um, just want to note for listeners, you know, you were a guest back on for episode 170, uh, and that was in January of 2017. So, of course, you can go back and listen to that to, to get a really full backstory, see where you're at then. And obviously, you know, we're going to be covering all the the things that you're up to now and how the work has changed. But maybe maybe tell, you know, some some listeners a little bit about your background in terms of, you know, education and, you know, you're, you're a teacher as well. Um, you're involved in the arts community in 
the St. Louis area. And so you can kind of talk to us a little bit about that. And then we can start diving into the work and all all current things. Um, well, thank you for having me again, first of all. I am in St. Louis. I was born and raised here in St. Louis, and it's where I reside now. I had a pretty suburban Catholic upbringing that kind of been addressing my whole adult life. <laughs> After getting my bachelor's of fine arts in studio art from the University of Missouri, St. Louis, I actually traveled with my boyfriend at the time to Abiquiu, New Mexico, where we lived on a vineyard and we were caretakers on like a, a hacienda there. So we had chickens and a lot of grapevines and vegetable gardens. But we were living like very wealthy retired people, which we were not even <laughs> close to that. So um, and I, I didn't like being isolated in my art practice. And I knew that maybe it was time for graduate school, that there was a lot in the art world I just didn't know about. I didn't understand theory, criticism, some aspects of art history. I just felt like I didn't have the kind of knowledge I wanted. So I applied to graduate school and went to the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, where I got my MFA. And I lived in Tennessee for five years before moving back home here to St. Louis a long time ago in 2010. <laughs> and then you've been teaching and, and involved in a number of different organizations since then, if I'm not mistaken. I have. I resigned from a full-time teaching gig in Tennessee to come home to St. Louis where I thought certainly I'll get another full-time um, faculty position. And I did last year, but it's temporary. But I adjuncted for 12 years at anywhere between three and five institutions at a time. <sighs> the life of an adjunct, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And I have maintained a studio almost the entire time that I've been back in St. Louis, whether it was in my apartment, house, or off-site. I have allowed for time off when my my mom was sick and when I had my first baby and then recently when I've had my second baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've been involved in a few projects, co-founded a publication called All the Art, which was a quarterly print publication here in St. Louis. We existed for five years until 2020 went out with COVID. And then last year, my dear friends Andrea Henry uh, Therian and Amelia Collette Jones and I co-founded a new studio space called Coral Green. Amazing. Again, so much to catch up on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and maybe, you know, kind of consider this a time machine, if you will, right? If you go back in in, in time five years, you know, the, the work was, there were tendencies in terms of like the formal qualities, you know, very colorful. You were still kind of exploring, you know, different media in terms of painting and sculpture and installation, if I'm not mistaken. But how would you how would you kind of maybe describe like where that ended so that we can figure out where we're picking picking up the story, if you will? Yeah, I have been working with multimedia for a very long time, for as long as I can remember in undergraduate as well. I'm a trained painter, so that my MFA is in painting and drawing. Mm -hmm. But I've been working with installation, sound, scent, painting, drawing. Uh, recently ceramic sculpture. So I've been using all of these media to sort of say what I want to say for a very long time. And when we last talked, I had a, a show that was really paying homage to, to my mother's first journey with cancer treatment. And I was working at the time with weather radar imagery merged with like color MRIs and Doppler ultrasounds, referencing malignancies and or health conditions that primarily affect women. 
So I was compressing those scientific scans with Doppler radar imagery of weather systems. And actually much later that year, when I talked to you, yeah, I, I found that because of, of a residency, I attended a, a very internationally famous artist sort of got a hold of that idea mm-hmm. and was recreating their work very, very similar to my processes. Mm. And that was, of course, I did not have a voice in that matter. I'm a, I don't want to, I'm not degrading myself, but I'm a nobody in St. Louis. So it felt an issue I couldn't fight. Um, It was beyond the sort of like universal idea situation. It was like, I can trace the breadcrumbs to the person that shared my process. Mm -hmm. So um, that was devastating. That, that was devastating. And um, a little later that year, then I had my first child and that rocked my world. And I didn't need to have that old process. <laughs> sure. So I began working with more imagined imagery, something I felt no one could steal from me, something that even though, of course, we're all inspired by each other and referencing images that we've seen all of our lives, it felt like truly mine. So that's when I began working with these caregiver figures or imagined babies or creatures. And they were often in kind of weird domestic spaces or no real environment at all. And then this past year, they're still around, that sort of caregiver infant or child figure. In my mind, they're in landscapes threatened by climate change. It's still all imagined imagery though. Maybe talk to us a little bit about this relationship of the figurative elements and how they start to kind of arrive in the work. Is this, you know, something where like the drawings might come before the paintings? I'm assuming that the 2D works come before the 3D, but, you know, don't want to make too many assumptions, but, you know, having a background as a painter, I would assume that those 2D works come natural and then the other works kind of spiral out of that. Um, That's kind of true. So I've been drawing my whole life and Whenever I've had these gaps in my studio practice, like I shared with you, which I believe in theory are necessary and make me a whole person Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not ashamed of them inside. I am like, oh my God, I have got to get back to the studio. You know, Mm -hmm. I of course feel those things like any artist feels when they're away from their work. And when I come back to my work, the first thing I do are, are the drawings. I work on watercolor paper and a lot of wet on wet additive color application. And again, I am sort of using autobiographical experiences and things I've witnessed most often actually in the news, parents with their children, these moments of desperation, the moments of joy, moments of love or protection. And I start with a lot of embracing and let those layers of watercolor dry. Sometimes it looks like gibberish. It looks like like just nothing at all. And I kind of let that guide me. I begin layering with dry media then, you know, oil pastel, a marker, soft pastel until they're finished, which usually requires, if I'm in the groove, only a few weeks. If I'm not in the groove, like right now, a few months, they'll Mm -hmm. be layered and and pretty kind of absurd, Pretty, pretty absurd in the end, which I like. Well, and and also kind of like the way that you kind of describe your work, it sounds like then you want to invite people into kind of 
examine those relationships. I would imagine then just because there's so many different works in a series that they're going to take on, I guess, different qualities or, you know, and maybe that could be something that a viewer misses at times. I don't know. Like, like for example, I'm looking at a drawing from 2021 called Bloody Eye Queen. And again, you can mm-hmm. kind of immediately say watercolor, watercolor paper. It has that kind of like very kind of soft quality in areas, some more graphic quality in areas. And then it looks like something of like a, like a crown, you know, that would be <laughs> ornate for like a queen. Mm-hmm. I would assume that like the, the eye reference might be, I don't know, maybe something that's read as like, I don't know, trauma or maybe something like that, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, mm-hmm. There's so many ways I think that maybe people could find different things and meanings. and Yeah, I, I mean, that's pretty spot on. You know, I was sort of working with these watercolor washes and, and often I will just make up a face, a portrait, a face, let it dry and just see like what's happening at that point. You know, it dries very differently, especially since I'm using so much water. It dries very differently than than what it looks like while well, it's wet. Mm-hmm. And what I intended to do sometimes dries very differently. But yeah, this one, I mean, you you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Bloody Eye Queen. For years, since 2018, my paintings and my drawings have had these little crowns. And I have been thinking about the idea of crowning at birth, which I I did not experience. I I had to have two C-sections. So I think that's one reason why I always kind of come back to that. It's something that that I, I didn't experience. And then for even now, in hindsight, longer than that, I have a daughter who's is very interested in princesses. And I just really like this, this sort of duality of covering up the trauma, having things that are gory combined with things that are like bedazzled. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty much what I was thinking with this one. Yeah. And it, well, it's interesting because there's like a, a really kind of soft quality, obviously, to the features. You know, and again, they're they're kind of muted down that, you know, red kind of like stain is kind of like, you know, billowing out. Mm-hmm. So again, obviously that kind of highlights that area to me. And again, it's, it's interesting because like, you know, there's, there's different ways that we can, we can take some of these or granted, like another one that stuck out to me that I noted was this uh, Google scream, mm. just because I think like the, you see that heavy black kind of surrounding this figure, like it, it seems like it's meant to be dark, but again, I. I think that's one of the things that's interesting about the work is that kind of allows for, you know, multiple different kind of readings, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, that's kind of one of the things that's great always about seeing artwork in person. You know, we were anecdotally talking about the pandemic and, you know, kind of getting back to quote unquote reality, mm-hmm. but that's, what's so great about going to see artwork in, in, in person. Cause you get different takes on it. You get different experiences. You get to walk around and, and see everything. Yeah. Is that something that somebody then would would also kind of have that same kind of reading, or because I I think of black and you know as, as something being like heavy, like a like a weighted yeah maybe there's a lot going on in, the, in this person's mind or I don't know yeah I think again that's very accurate it, you know it all it kind of originates there in in that space this one um, it's you know dated at 2018 so I was less than a year into being a mother and th- it might not be something you're aware of but mom rage is a very real thing when a new article just came out about it like today or yesterday. It's not rage at your children, um, or at least in my experience, it certainly, it was never that. It was, you know, the village that people talk about, it is not there. Mm-hmm. Luckily for me and my family, I do have my parents, my husband has his parents here. We do have a, a familial village. 
And still it just felt like no one could help. No one could hear me. I, I like couldn't do anything right. If I go to work, I'm away from my kid. If I'm with my kid, I'm away from work and I'm not contributing financially. And society, our society here in the U.S. is, is terrible, absolutely terrible for mothers. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where that came from. And I wanted to like have this screaming figure. And I really did Google scream. I Googled scream so I could have a source image and just kind of riffed off of like Google images of the word scream. And here the eyes and the mouth are actually, that's collage of those weather radar images I was just talking about earlier. So they did start to worm their way back into my work in a new way after that experience I I talked about earlier. It sounds like, again, there's a lot of, you know, your own experiences that you're kind of using to kind of generate this work and and to talk about serious subjects. Mm-hmm. Are there other other readings for some pieces that maybe you find interesting that would be kind of interesting to kind of highlight? Yeah, sorry, I say that because I'm looking at like another piece called Couch, and then I go, okay, well, there's no figure in this one. It has that radial kind of quality, but then I, you know, very much like somebody that loves reading titles because then you start to kind of think about it in the context of these other pieces and start to kind of maybe. I don't think about being stuck in a spot, kind of being removed from something that's going on, you know, out there in the world or something. I don't know. I mean, you're saying all the things that (laughs) I, that I was thinking about maybe, you know, for different reasons for this one, it, you know, it also to me seems like a a crime scene or something, Mm -hmm. you know, like something has taken place there at that, you know, the center of that, that radial balance. I have always thought that. And then of course I try to offset or I try to accentuate the drama. I don't even know myself which way I'm going with that with glitter glue, you know, but yeah, this is when, when home with an infant, you're home with an infant and it feels like you are removed. And it's why I started working with rugs. There are a lot of rugs in my work, glitter rugs, paintings of rugs, drawings of rugs. I'm always sort of um, in, just inventing designs of what could be rugs. And that originated from staring at the rug mm-hmm. for hours on end, trying to pump breast milk or get a baby to sleep mm-hmm. or that, that there's crap all over my rugs all the time. There's, there are toys and food and dog hair. Yeah. So like it's um very, it starts very pretty, pretty literal and pretty, basic, pretty mundane, banal, however you want to think of it. Well, I try to grow it from there by either making it more special, turning it into like a party of some sort, an homage to this mundane subject matter. Are these like then ones that are you're working on with, you know, maybe multiple kind of developing and you're jumping around as you're working? Yes. Because I would imagine like a mood could kind of, dict- you know, maybe you have something that's very colorful, then you come in and you're like, Nope. <laughs> like, or you yep. kind of throw a figure element, but maybe talk about that, that process side of these. So the works on paper and the ceramics really evolve. I'm not going to say the exact same way, but as far as the imagery goes, they do. I work on multiples at a time with the works on paper. It's, it's at least four at a time. Mm-hmm. And if I have just laid down watercolor washes of these figures, the next one is going to be imagined patterns on a rug or blanket or whatever I'm going to turn that into. And I'll go back and forth between between that. Sometimes it's figures in a landscape. Sometimes it's figures on a couch. And then just 
my Midwest St. Louis uninformed approach to how can I make a pattern that I would see on a Persian rug or mm-hmm. so I, I, I work like that. And then I do the same thing with the ceramics, but the ceramics actually are able, I'm able to get even a little more fun and absurd with those. If you go to my sculpture page and then click the Mombies, we'll look at cling favorite. And so that is two rows down, first one in the second row. So with those, you know, they, they happen the same way. I, I don't really go into these ceramics with much, much of a plan. And I am not trained in ceramics, which, by the way, has been super liberating and fun because I do not have the entire baggage of ceramics art history on my back to concern myself with. So I I just kind of have fun with this in the same way that I did when my daughter first started playing with Play-Doh. But here, I'm just kind of able to get across more of this sort of conflict of the the fear and joy, the love (laughs) and suffocation. Mm -hmm. So here, you know, the hug is like choking the caregiver a little bit. And you see the the smile on the little one's face and then the expression on the caregiver's face. And then, you know, as I'm working on this one, before it goes for its bisque firing, that's just the first firing before there's any color or glaze or anything, I will work with, you'll see if you go back to that page, like just below that one, there's one that looks like a rectangle. And that's a series from the Mambi series. It's called Rugs and Flats. And so here I'm working with the clay to, again, make up my own rugs, blankets, or what I call comfort accessories for my mombies, who are the ones pretty much um, performing this matriarchal revolution that I, that I imagine. And, and again, the, you know, the rugs and, and kind of ornate like patterns and decoration that also can be found throughout all, you know, the work. So that's a tie-in. Mm-hmm. And then certainly like the figurative elements, but maybe talk a little bit too, like how, how did this all come about? Was it something where kind of like you were just describing, maybe you were kind of using some uh, sculptural Play-Doh type materials uh, with your kids. And then it's like off to the races of like, Hey, maybe I could be doing this with ceramic works. You know, it was very exciting when my, my daughter, who is my, my oldest, it was very exciting when she got past the point of putting everything in her mouth and she wanted, you know, <laughs> to create, to make creations. Sure. So we made a lot of burrito babies. We made a lot of fake food and that was awesome. And it did sort of, I mean, I can't believe how long it took me to, to catch on that. Like it's something I could do in my studio. Mm-hmm. I do not really bring my children to my studio when it's time for me to work. I'll bring them there and they will, and and Vera, my daughter will make something. Mm-hmm. My infant, I can put in a carrier kind of, but um, anyway, so, so I do, I keep it a little more separate than some other artist mothers that I am familiar with. Anyway, I started working with the clay. It's been important to me to sort of represent different disciplines. I, I think in exhibitions, I don't think in individual pieces. And when I want to activate a space, I need there to be something on the floor, something raised up, something at a table, something in my ears, something pretty typical at gallery standard hanging height. Like I just, that's how I think. And so for an exhibition I had in 2019, the ceramic pieces, that's where they were first displayed. And they actually came to light at the time that we were learning again from the news 
that about the family separations at the U.S.-Mexico border. And that was another instance, like like today's wars, the you know Israeli-Hamas war, where we're all hearing about right now. It's nauseating. It's sickening, and I feel completely helpless as a person, as a woman, as a mother. And that's when I started sculpting my mombies to go save the world. And so in terms of thinking about this exhibition in particular too, like you were just talking about, you kind of see these things all coming together. So aside from the the ceramic works, we've got drawings, we've got paintings. And then I, I believe one of the, these um, uh, rug pieces that are on vinyl, is that right? Yeah, they were all, they're all on vinyl. And okay. years ago, when I first started those in 2007, I worked with the weather, the Doppler radar imagery only in glitter on vinyl, mm -hmm. and it was loose glitter. And so I would sweep it up at the end of an exhibition. And then I realized I no longer needed to perform that labor and have the piece disappear. I did not need to do that poetic gesture any longer of having it be so fleeting. So I started gluing also at an opening once someone walked right through one and I had to like repair it at the opening. <laughs> yeah, that, that sucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is at the time I was pregnant with my daughter and I was like, mm -hmm, I'm not going to let this happen again. Sure. <laughs> so I started using just clear craft glue and loved it, loved the way it created like new undulations, the glitter was still sparkling. And so now um, the glitter rugs are, the past two that I have made are from the same image where um, I photographed my living room rug covered with toys and my daughter using a GoPro camera up on a ladder. And I just loved that that dichotomy of as though I was on an actual adventure outside of my house when I was mm -hmm. not, but I needed the GoPro camera, you know, and took that aerial view. And then I filter them through Photoshop, posterize things, overlay a few images. So it's a super abstracted image of, of my, my personal home, my living room rug. And then I sort of glitter by number and they act as rugs to anchor the space in, in my shows. Well, it's interesting because you're kind of talking about, you know, thinking about them almost as like landscapes or I don't know if that relates to like landscapes of the mind or psyche or hmm. you know, however you want to describe it. But then it's kind of interesting because then, you know, you can come into a space and then you have, you know, works that you're walking around, works that are on the wall. And even just like the little, um, the mombies, they kind of become like these, you know, miniature figurative elements that you can kind of even see kind of in the background of paintings or kind of being, you know, pulled into this other context as well. Mm -hmm. is, is that when it's fully realized then in terms of, you know, seeing these all together? I know you, you kind of said you don't think about them as being entirely separate. Yeah, absolutely. That's when it's fully realized when, when it's in the space and then I can add sound as well, which I don't always include, but my last solo show which I took down in February, I think February of 2023. Yeah, that was that was my most recent one with with the sound component. I really like, you know, having the viewer walking around the space, walking around some artworks, being just simply confronted as usual by some 2D works, hovering over things. It's it's very important to me to to activate those senses like those 
those physical moments without touching though. I'm not into touching my work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Taking a quick coffee break to remind you that our 2023 pro competition is coming to a close December 15th. If you want to apply, you can check it out at studiobreak.com. Look under the competition page. Really easy to apply. You submit a small fee. You email your information and you are done. Our juror Jeff Stevenson will be selecting five artists to appear on upcoming episodes of the podcast. One artist for a solo exhibition and a number of artists for two small group exhibitions. While you're there, you can find many of our archived episodes to listen to while you're working away in the studio. You can also subscribe to our newsletter so you never miss out on Studio Break content, whether that be new exhibitions or podcasts or competitions. I do want to note once again that I'll be giving away a painting to one lucky subscriber. So once again, subscribe to the newsletter on Studio Break to stay up to date and you might have a new painting for your collection. I know, too, that you can find out about other shows like our show with Jeff Stevenson or any of the archive shows under the gallery tab to see what we've been doing at Studio Break Gallery. All right, my coffee's topped off. Let's dive right back into this interview with Amy Rydell. Again, it's interesting to think about how these work in, in tandem or, you know, kind of reinforce uh, ideas in one another. I guess, you know, one thing that we haven't really talked too much about then are the paintings related to the other ones, too, because... Is there one that takes more time than the other, or do you not even think about them like that? It's just like, again, how they're coming together. Paintings are like a pain in my ass to complete. Okay. <laughs> but I love the way they look. I love paintings. I just love paintings. Um, I love looking at them. I love following painters on Instagram, paintings in books, my little art library I'm proud of, and I, I look at those paintings. Constructing a painting for me is very, very difficult. It is not a, a natural movement for me in the way that the works on paper are, or even the way the ceramics feel. And again, I believe that's because I'm not trained. I think that's one of the only reasons why the ceramics feel natural for me, because mm -hmm. um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, I, I know a little bit more now, thanks to some generous like peers and colleagues that have seen me in a ceramics studio and given me advice. But um, with painting, geez, oh, you know, going to graduate school for painting is like, I'm lucky I paint at all anymore. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I can't, every stroke you make is heavy. And it has helped me, like I, like I mentioned before, to use this sort of invented imagery, which is a term Erica Huss coined for me that I have been using for like four years now. That has been very helpful. I've been working 48 by 60 inches for a few years now. I, I don't know exactly why I'm using that size. I can lift it onto the wall. I think I, I can actually fit one in my car. So maybe that's why I'm sticking with that size. I would like to go maybe larger someday. Anyway, I begin those the exact same way. I begin the works on paper. I lay them flat on sawhorses and build up wet on wet layers of washes. Again, it's figures, it's rugs, it's figures in a landscape, figures in a home. And then I work with acrylic, oil, and spray paint primarily to keep layering those as well. I was going to say, they're, they're obviously a lot bigger than, too, than the works on paper, it seems like, on average. They are. 
I'm assuming they're a lot more labor intensive, like you're kind of just alluding to as well. I mean, not something that, well, even just the scale of something, I don't know why, you know, people tell you like, oh, there's no difference between a small thing and then a giant thing. But I feel like when you're getting into 60 inches, it's like, you know, it's very physical, you know, even just in class the other day, I was drawing at an easel and I'm just trying to move very quickly. And I'm like, yeah, my shoulder is hurting. It's been 20 minutes. I've been drawing, you know, so (laughs) I know same thing happened to me recently in figure <laughs> drawing. I teach that and I was like, oh boy, my arm's getting tired. Right. Yeah, it is. And I feel a lot of stutters in that scale change. But like I said, I love the way they look in the end. That's what keeps me keeps me coming back. I, I The tools that you use. I mean, I have love markers and pastels and oil pastels and a woodless graphite pencil and colored pencils. You know, I love I love those tools you hold with your hands directly. Maybe I just shouldn't use paintbrushes. I never really <laughs> thought of that. So yeah, I don't know if that's the stutter mm-hmm. where the gap is for me, but it's it's difficult. And I, I have been having fun lately with, I'm trying to build up more texture on my surfaces, I'm trying to confuse the sense of atmospheric perspective without becoming too sculptural mm-hmm. or too too heavy, too cumbersome of, a, of an object. So just using things like like molding paste, drywall mud, spackle, wax, like just building up a kind of a thinner layer. And I'm, I'm trying to use that on the background of paintings. Mm-hmm. So it comes forward and then the foreground is the flat layer that recedes a little bit. And I, I am having a little fun with that. Well, and it seems like you kind of try to use anything. Is, is there any trick <laughs> right. to that? Or I mean, like, how do you find out about a new material or are you getting suggestions or, you know, like seeing something at a show and you're like, oh, I've never thought about using X or. Yes, I am. And I, if you have any recommendations, like I am (laughs) still looking for what the heck people are using to build up the texture on their canvases. You know, I did one called Beach Putty Snuggles, the third one at the first row on my painting page, Beach Putty Snuggles. You know, that's all drywall mud in the background. And then with spray paint, the, the sandy speckly spray paint. So if you click it, you can zoom in um, and you can see some of that texture. But for my, you know, in, in transit to my show, the top, you know, a corner of that broke off. Like, hmm. so that was, that was not my smartest archival choice for building up that texture. But I had, a, I had access to a lot of it. So I, I used it. And I like that quality. I like that spackle quality too, very much. So I, I'm not sure. I see things at museums or galleries and I think I'm going to, I might try that. Um, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Well, it's interesting that with this piece too, because there's elements that almost kind of make me think of something that's more like a decorative print mm-hmm. in terms of the way that like some elements are flattening out. And I, again, that kind of, you know, is a bridge between some of the ornate kind of like rug designs and and things like that, I would imagine. Yeah. How does that change things? Because I mean, again, there is an evolution, you know, not only to some of the ideas, you know, but even, you know, just especially for ourselves, you know, we we see something that we made five years ago and it's like, oh, that's it's totally different, even though somebody else might go, oh, it's pretty similar. Right. But maybe, maybe talk about that. Cause I mean, again, that seems like a like there's almost kind of like some more silhouetted kind of like figures in some of some of the more recent ones. And I, I know that there's other ones that do that too, but I don't know. It feels like it's like doing it in a different way, I guess. I don't know. Um, maybe just because there's more space, you know, in, in some of the ones 
that I'm thinking of from more like the the 22, you know, like category. I think I see what you're saying. I did kind of eliminate facial features. Huh. Interesting. Thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> Something that has been important to me since I have been making the mombies and it is is being inclusive that I don't need it to be a portrait of me. You know, I've had I've had curators and and others call my work very personal, very autobiographical. And I hear, I hear some coded language there that I'm not a super big fan of because I don't really know many artists that aren't working from a personal point of view mm-hmm. or from or sourcing some bits of autobiography. I just feel like, I don't know, we're, we're all kind of starting there, kind of. Anyway, it's been very important to me that all people can sort of put themselves in these positions of being a caregiver, being a mother, being the one that's being cared for. And so I've had, I've allowed the textile designs, which are all inspired from scarves I inherited from my grandmother or from rugs, like I've mentioned already, that those surface patterns have taken over the, the skin of most of my figures in these paintings. Petronell sunset re-record. But, but there's a piece called Petronell, I think Petronell, but again, this one strikes me, obviously, like there's still a figurative element, but it's very landscape, maybe more so than even some of the other ones. But um, I don't know where, where you're at now. I mean, are you, are you kind of feeling pretty loose in terms of the way that you kind of might start kind of exploring some, some of those other elements? Like, you know, you were kind of just describing kind of making them a little bit more open in terms of maybe not you know, people want to assume that they're always autobiographical or something. So it strikes me that by kind of removing those elements, it becomes more universal, I guess, in some ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I'm hoping for that because that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, just my own personal experience, of course, Mm -hmm. that these are things that sort of need to get out in society and especially in the art world where, you know, caregivers and mothers, women, were marginalized for uh, so long and still that it's worth saying that it's worth being seen and talked about. But um, yes, it's, it's, I believe it's Pedernal sunset. And that is a, a mountain out in Abiquiu, New Mexico. So that's where I lived in New Mexico. My short time there, it's where Georgia O'Keeffe lived for, for this painting. And, and you were very, very perceptive to latch onto this one. This was the last painting I made of this series. And to me, it became very, very different than the other ones because it is so focused on the landscape. And that landscape is actually taking over the, the foreground figure there. Yeah, and, and frankly, I'm, I'm still wrapping my head around this one. There are parts of me that, that wants to really let this evolve further and, and, and paint over it, cover things up. But, you know, I'm not going to do that yet. Yeah, but this one, I wanted the middle ground and foreground, the shrubs, the sagebrush, whatever you want to think of those as, to operate in the same way as the sort of floral motif in the other figures. Um, Just wanted that repetition and that flatness. The first two paintings that are on that page, I mean, again, are just so eye-catching, you know, Um, and it kind of reminds me of the one that we were talking about not too long ago with the, that kind of like print element mm-hmm. where again we don't we don't have the same type of features in terms of like the face 
that goal of trying to be uh, inclusive and kind of like allowing, you know, even more open kind of like reading or approach. I think it, it's really striking, especially like the the mm-hmm. yoga. Gosh, yoga! I just combined two <laughs> words there. <laughs> yoga, yoga guru kid uh, and thinking yoga. parents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, but such a beautiful painting. Thank you. You know. Thank you. And maybe tell us a little about this. I mean, again, we could talk about both of them, but I mean, it just, again, it just strikes me like, you know, that there's a, I don't know, like a, maybe it's just because of the combination of the spray paint. I don't know if that's, was that something that's more recent or is that something that's been with you for the last, you know, bunch of time? Because there's like a, I don't know, I can't think of a better word than smoothness. That sounds like a bad (laughs) word or something. But again, it just, I I don't know, it seems like it merges so well together. I don't know. Good. Thank you. Yeah, the spray paint is not new. I've been working with spray paint for a long time, relying on it a little more heavily now. But um, this painting, Yoga Guru Kid and Sinking Parents, and then this the other one next to it called Fire Slanket, where there's like a, a, a white fiber with the colorful flowers on top. Those were born around the same time. And Fire Slanket was, um, you know, I've been working with the subject matter for a few years and for you know, I'm, and, and like all of us, David, you know, I'm used to getting rejected from opportunities. That's like, I've got a fairly thick skin with all of that. You have to. And there's this one opportunity here at home that I really want. And I, I get rejected every time. Mm-hmm. And this, this year in 21, 2021, 2022, whenever I started that painting fire slinket, I got rejected again. And it just really kind of brought me to my knees that time. I just really let it I took it to a place of, wow, still nobody gives a shit about like what women are dealing with or what caregivers or mothers are dealing with. Like I I can't go to certain residencies. My friends that care for their aging parents can't go to certain residencies. There there are opportunities that we're not invited to, you know, And, and when that's closed off to you, then you can't participate fully in this art world that you felt connected to for your whole life because you felt maybe outside of mainstream society, you know, Mm -hmm. earlier in your life, or that was the case for me. I felt like, you know, my whole life, whether because of sexuality or identity, interests, mindset, you know, all of these reasons made me feel outside of mainstream society. And I felt connected, you know, to, to artists and to art communities. And then I decided to become a mother. And then I felt outside of the art community because I was taught, you know, like a a real feminist artist doesn't do that. That if I want to be a successful artist, I have to move to New York. I can't really have a partner. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have a family. I can't be a mother. I have to eat, breathe and sleep my art practice, which I, um, rebelled against I have rebelled against that my whole life it feels false to me for there to be any kind of narrative like that for a group of people that are supposed to be reporting on the human condition and sort of operating outside of those constructs right like it just didn't make sense to me but anyway I got rejected from this opportunity and felt disconnected from this art world and then after moping around for a month I was like, screw that, I'm gonna double down. Like, this is what's important. I'm talking to all of these artists on Instagram and in my real life, 
they think it's important. They see themselves in this work. Like I, I'm not, I'm not going to stop. And so that's how Fire Slinket came to be. And I felt very proud of that. And as soon as it was finished, somebody bought it, you know, and that's not, oh, I'm wow. not like, I know, right? Like I'm not someone whose work is flying out of the studio to say the mm -hmm. least. So that felt great. And then Yoga Guru Kid with Sinking Parents came along shortly thereafter. And it was the first time I included like two caregivers and a, and a child in a painting. And that I really wanted it to be, you know, like the, the, I just wanted the balance to be slightly off. So, you know, I'm titling it Sinking Parents. It's barely, barely looks like anybody is sinking here. But I, you know, I don't know if you can see the slight tilt to the bottom right, but like that, I just wanted those subtleties to be subtle, mm -hmm. to imply something, to allude to something, whether it's drowning or flooding or center of the universe, parenting. There's a lot of parenting blogs and yeah, it's loaded. It is. I mean, it's all loaded, but this one is really, really loaded. And then with like love between partners as well which i don't often make work about well and it's interesting too because like you know we you were talking about you know the connections that you make with artists that you know are very interested in what you're saying and they're they think of it obviously as very valuable you know i think of the format that they see it in you know to see it kind of close up especially when you kind of zoom in you kind of see all that kind of painterly quality that uh texture there's almost like elements that kind of remind me of like water and again, it becomes really interesting because there's this, I don't know, a way that we kind of see things again, you know, in that format that we kind of might miss, you know, because it, mm -hmm. it might be seen as something that's very slick and and tightly controlled, but then there's a lot of your hand in it too. Mm -hmm. And again, I feel like that, you know, makes it, I don't know, way more approachable than if it was something that was, I don't know, just very rigid, I guess, in terms of execution. There's so, there's something that's like, I don't know, very colorful about it, very painterly. Like you can see such a different quality of it. Again, I can only imagine just like anybody else's work in person, you know, that's the ideal way to see it. But, um, you know, it's something that I feel like it gets lost in, in terms of the way that somebody might see it. So um, I, that, I agree. <laughs> and well, yeah. well, I just say it because, I mean, you get excited about it. I mean, again, you can kind of see, you know, just like in the other uh, painting that you were pointing out to, not too long ago, like, you know, like a very textured background that has spray paint on it versus one, again, mm -hmm. where it's kind of very richly kind of layered. Um, mm -hmm. And again, the 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 floral kind of almost looking pattern or decoration or, decor you know, the way that that's kind of like working with the silhouette, I think is just a really, you know, beautiful kind of combination, you know, to kind of see on canvas. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I... I don't have any detail images on my website of these. I do have some, and even still, you know, kind of like from the side angle, you can see that texture in, um, yeah, I do think of that as water, the like turquoise to brown area. That's all like molding paste that's been painted over. And you can see, you know, it's a very, again, a subtle textural change or planar change even, but there's nothing like it in person. It's true. And, you know, I think we were talking about this earlier, you know, in terms of the the way that they come together in, you know, exhibitions. And I think you were kind of earlier talking about this, uh, 
most recent installation slash exhibition that you've had. Maybe talk about that a little bit. I think it's called Cling 2, where a number of these pieces were all kind of in the same space. Yeah, they were. So this was at the High Low Gallery as a part of the Kranzberg Arts Center here in St. Louis. It's a very well-respected, very supportive to the arts family here. And yeah, when you walked in the space, there was what I called the <laughs> Chase Mauve Rain Wall. So Chase Mauve was the you know copyrighted name of this paint color. And if you zoom in on one of those installation shots, you can see really light peach sort of raindrop brush strokes on that back wall. And um, there's the glitter rug sort of placed in the middle. So as you moved around the space, um, there's like, you know, again, like a party. I mean, there's so much color, like candy coating sort of color. And then I had a sort of creepy soundtrack, a lot of wind chimes and, and backwards singing, which was all quite meaningful to me. And then there was a small room off to the side, which contained my mombies. And that's the last photo in that sort of exhibition, the area that we're looking at here online. And they were off by themselves, sort of mm -hmm. glaring at everybody <laughs> as they moved around the rest of the space. And then um, as an homage to both like Judy Chicago and this idea of, you know, the last supper, which, um, that, you know, that iconography is deeply embedded in my brain as someone who was raised Catholic. I have all these works on paper flat and presented on what I thought of as like a dining room table like pedestal. And it was great. It was a great show. I'm very proud of it. And talk a little bit too about the the sound element. You were kind of, you know, describing it a little bit like, is that something that's always been in part of the installations then too? Yeah. So um, when my brother-in-law died last year, my my family and I, we all received wind chimes, like separate from each other. I had no idea that those were um, a, a symbol of sympathies or condolences, but apparently so, or at least in my area, they are. And so we had our, our wind chimes up for a while in the backyard. And because my work is so often sort of conflating fear and joy and love and loss and ideas of protection and also disease, you know, all the, all the elements mm -hmm. of the human condition there. I, I wanted to create a sound piece for this space. So I recorded the wind chimes. And then over that, I laid a track of myself singing Winter Wonderland, which is my daughter's uh, lullaby, mm -hmm. because Christmas songs are the songs that I can always remember the words to. And um, so that was track singing backwards. So it sounded very, it sounded pretty creepy. And that has been a, a kind of ongoing theme with sound or video works in my shows since, um, again, since graduate school. But something that again, kind of brings, I don't know, a different element to that, that exhibition and, and the way that people are going to kind of interact with it. It's interesting, the, the layers, you know, because you, like, as this whole conversation started by being an interdisciplinary artist, you can kind of use all these different elements to kind of, I don't know, create a different kind of experience. So even though I know we've talked about it, I mean, it's going to be different than, you know, you making a singular work sitting at a table or, you know, wherever you are in your studio. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to think about all these coming together. Right. And, and I'm assuming then, you know, we were kind of alluding to this when we were talking about the paintings, then there might be some new kind of horizons in terms of some of the more landscape elements, or you might not be sure yet, or. So I have two paintings in progress right now. 
And that's going to be, that'll probably be it for mm -hmm. 2023 for me, maybe two paintings. That This landscape of Paternal Sunset it has not reappeared yet, but I have, and I'm surprised to see it, again, created one painting with a landscape element, specifically the sky, and then another painting inside a home. So I seem to be continuing on with with both of those, like fire slanket, they're in my mind, you know, they're on a couch and just be just beyond them outside the blinds and the window are, are all of these tiny fires and threats. Um, so that seems to be happening again in my work or still happening. But now there's another mm -hmm. child in the yeah. <laughs> in the image. <laughs> so or small figure, I should say, they look like blobs. I mean, everybody just looks like a blob as I develop these. But the texture is there, and I sort of went a little haywire with the spackle this time and the drywall mud. And I'm introducing the spray paint a little earlier. I am so drawn to abstraction. I just saw the Rebecca Morris exhibition up there mm -hmm. in Chicago by you, and I I loved it. And I've been following her work and the work of many abstract painters and artists. And I'm I'm so drawn to it. Like uh, what I was saying is like my my guts are drawn to it. I feel very connected. And then in my work, I, you know, I keep making these like illustrative figures and, or if it's not a figure, it's just very illustrative. Like that's my, that's my go-to and it has been my go-to since I was a kid. And so I'm just kind of wondering, like, is that because I'm still in the throes of early motherhood and I'm very close to this, I'm very close to this business right now. Like when I mature even more, is imagery going to synthesize into more pure abstraction? Like, is that where I'm headed, you know? And so even though I can't physically be in my studio working as much as I'd like, I am, I'm really thinking about that. Like, what is this disconnect between what I love looking at and, and what I am making? Or, you know, maybe it's not such a disconnect. Maybe everybody has this stuff. I don't know. Well, it's like, it's like the adventure continues though. You know, I mean, one of the things that I always yeah. think about is all the cycles and, you know, things that come back around if you, you know, work long enough. So, you know, I, I imagine that mm -hmm. that can kind of take you in all sorts of directions, you know, mm -hmm. are there big, you know, like plans or anything kind of coming up? Are there places that people should check out your work or, or kind of stay, stay in touch to kind of see what the latest developments are or how, you know, how these things change again, it's always exciting to kind of see how people, evolve you know and continue to kind of make it their work and you know again the older that i get the more i kind of you know get just get excited about anybody that is making something because it takes so much time and, and commitment for all of us you know but especially when life keeps yeah. getting more complicated so right right yeah i um i told myself after a year last year that included um some of the the heaviest losses of mine and my husband's lives and um, the excitement of being pregnant and having a baby, I told myself, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get my applications out there. I'm not going to consume myself with grants or exhibition or, or residency applications. I'm, I'm going to chill out here. And, and I have, and mm -hmm. that worked. Nobody's, mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody's beating down my door <laughs> to, get, to give me these opportunities. I do have one opportunity at Fontbonne University here in St. Louis. In March, I'll be exhibiting with the artist and studio mate, Greta Collier. Um, I'll be showing my mombies exclusively for the first time. I'm very excited about that. I think they'll have like their own space, their own display. 
And then I'm in talks with someone about an exhibit in New Hampshire, which could be very interesting. And other than that, I'll be in my studio at Coral Green Studios. Check that out at coralgreenstudios.com mm -hmm. to learn more about that space. And um, I'll continue on as an educator and, and see what happens next. I mentioned earlier how I think in exhibitions and I don't have a solo exhibition lined up right now. And it's kind of nice to be working on pieces with that, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, and of course, obviously, you know, your website, amyrydell.com, all the work that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can check it out more there. And then what, what type of Instagram uh, do you keep? Are you somebody that only is posting the finished works or things in process or. I do both. If, um, and I'm just at amy.rydell pretty easy. Um, and I am on there every day mm -hmm. too much, <laughs> not proud of that, but I, I am there and I will post in progress works and completed works and little snippets of my, my home life or professional life as well. Yeah. All of the above. Lots of places to go check out your work and, and stay up to date. Again, I would encourage anybody if they want to take another deep dive uh, back into that archived episode, that's episode 170 from January of 2017. But again, uh, really just appreciate you have, having you back on. And it's been so great talking to you and, and learning more about some of the recent work and developments and, you know, all the, you know, you're now, now a mom of two. So that's so exciting. And, and again, um, just so awesome to kind of hear all the things that you're doing. So thanks. Thanks again for doing this. Well, thank you for having me, David. Same to you. I mean, the gallery you've got up and running and the competitions and the beautiful website and amazing interviews I've been following along and I know a lot of us have. So thank you for keeping it going. Thanks once again to Amy for joining me. If you'd like to see more of her work, head on over to amyrydell.com. You can also do a solid follow on Instagram at amy.rydell. That's R-E-I-D-E-L. That way you can stay up to date with new work, new exhibitions, and everything that's going on at Coral Green Studios, which is the artist-run collaborative based in South St. Louis City. And it's worth noting that our post on Studio Break will have a link back to episode 170 where you can hear our initial interview and learn more about Amy's work. I do want to remind listeners once again that our 2023 Studio Break Pro Competition is coming to a close December 15th. So if you would like to be on Studio Break or possibly be featured in a solo exhibition, group exhibition, then head on over to studiobreak.com. Look under the competition tab. It's really easy to apply. You submit a small fee. Send off an email with your information and you are done. Our juror this year, Jeff Stevenson, will be selecting five artists to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break, as well as one artist for a solo exhibition and a number of artists for two small group exhibitions. So if you're interested, get those apps in. Jeff Stevenson has a solo exhibition at Studio Break Gallery, Cross Section, The Many Faces of Jeff Stevenson. It opens once again on Saturday, December 9th from 4 to 8 p.m., out here in West Chicago. You can find a detailed map on studiobreak.com under the gallery tab. We also recently featured Jeff on the podcast for episode 298. We talk all about his work and, of course, this exhibition that's going on currently. Do you want to note to listeners, once again, you can listen to more Studio Break episodes on studiobreak.com. You can subscribe in Spotify, Apple, wherever your podcasts. But I do recommend you check out the archive. There's tons of images there, links to the artist websites, and you can, of course, sign up for the Studio Break newsletter while you're there to keep up to date with all sorts of things going on with Studio Break in terms of the podcast, gallery, you name it. 
As a bit of extra incentive, one of those subscribers will be picked randomly to get one of my paintings that will be shipped to them and grow their collection. So once again, just subscribe to the newsletter, be qualified. Music for today's episode is by Golden Shadow, which features myself, Ben Cohan, and Brett Beery. You can check out some of Ben's paintings at Studio on Instagram. You can listen to some of the albums that Brett Beery has made by following him on Instagram, at Brett Beery. And of course, you can follow at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. We do have an EP available uh, through the link there, so check that out and give a listen. Of course, you can see some of my work. It's all folded in together with Studio Break, so you don't have to go too far to check it out. But there's paintings, and there should be some new paintings available shortly. So definitely check that out with the holidays coming. Once again, it's great hearing from listeners, so be sure to follow us and say hello in all of those great social media platforms. You can like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, X, at Studio Break. And, of course, on Instagram, be sure to say hello at Studio underscore Break. It's always great to hear from listeners, especially if you enjoyed today's episode or a recent episode. It's always great hearing from you. As we wrap it all up, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I hope your studio is super productive. You're doing great stuff in there. And... Hope that you stay healthy out there as well. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.